0: The rest of you here with me this morning, we are going to take a pause um, from the book of Philippians, obviously, and uh, move into the Advent season this year by looking now at the nativity. And when I think about nativity, and and you guys may be so familiar with that word that you're forgetting exactly what that word means, you know, sometimes we know how to use words in the sentence, right? (laughs) The nativity scene. But do we know what that scene is? Do we know what that word means? It simply means arrival. The birth of. The beginning of. The arrival. And when I start thinking about the arrival of Jesus, and I start thinking about all that He is, and all that He arrived to accomplish, and what He came to establish I think about the contrast of the moment, the contrast of the season, the contrast of what God was doing at that point in history and what God continues to do even now as we are seated here in 2019, approaching 2020. I think of the contrast I think of the contrast when the announcement came to the prophets a long time ago, many, many years, hundreds of years, in fact, before it actually happened, that God announced and foretold what He was going to do in the world, and and He gave some hints and some indication about when that was actually going to take place, and there was a contrast even in the promise, and so we're going to look at that this morning, that when God came and He said, I promise you that I'm going to make things right, I'm going to bring peace, I'm going to bring joy. I'm going to reestablish my rule and my reign. I'm going to reestablish holiness and justice and peace. It was at a time when they were absent of all those things. Isn't that like a promise? When you and I receive a promise of something, the exact opposite of that promise is usually the state of, the, of, of our lives. So if someone comes and says, man, I promise you a job. It's because you need one. Right? This because you, you need one. If, if somebody, if you, if you promise, and you, you tell the electric company, I promise I'm going to pay tomorrow. It's because you have not paid yet. And when you tell your spouse, your wife, I, I know I'll take out the trash when I get home. It's because you did not take it out yet today or the last several days. Maybe if you promise somebody that you're going to be there with them, I promise I will be there with you, it's because they have a need and maybe they feel alone. Maybe they feel abandoned. Maybe they feel hurt. Maybe you are the person that promises them to bring them comfort and, and to resource them in some way. So it seems to me that when a promise is, is given, there's always a contrasting kind of condition in our life. And sometimes when we think about God and we think about the promises that, that He gave, it's It's like we take those contrasts and we use them to kind of lessen our faith. So if someone says to you, I promise that I'm going to be there with you, you kind of look at them not there with you yet as meaning that they're never going to be with you. If you look and say that that God is saying, I promise you in the days to come I'm going to restore something in your life or bless you in some way or meet some need, but you're looking in your moment and you're saying, but but Lord, you haven't done that yet. You you haven't met that need yet. How can I trust you to, to meet that in the future? And so sometimes the very condition that we receive the promise causes us to disbelieve in the promise. And sometimes the condition of our now really puts a wet blanket over maybe our future. And I want us this morning to, as we approach Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I want us to kind of look at this contrast in our life, because even today we see this great contrast, don't we, between what what human beings think life should be and then what it kind of turns out to be. Sometimes there's those great contrasts. And so we all find ourselves this morning in some sort of contrast, I'm sure, because you're not where you're going yet. You're, you're, You're not what you're becoming. And sometimes we look and there's this great Contrast even in the simplest things in our life, it was weird. Yesterday, I I had to grab some last-minute candy uh, for the winter fest. We wanted to give out some candy with our our cards and just kind of be pleasant that way. And and Pastor Gallo was being Pastor Gallo and um, having all that energy and going around. And and but it was I was I was I was excited for him because he actually asked permission from the parents before he gave the kids candy, and it was just a fun thing to kind of watch him be himself out there, and and it was a good time. But I went to grab some last minute candy and I run into big lots and, and I go in there. And you know, it was so interesting as I ran around and collected candy, I also, some other things caught my eye as, as they tend to do. And, and I noticed that n- there was nothing about Jesus in big lots. There was the word joy, there was the word peace, there was the word happy, there was the word merry, um, but there was, there was nothing about birth. There was nothing about nativity. There was nothing about arrival. There was nothing about the Christ. There was nothing about that at all. And so, um, kind of interesting. I, I, I'm wondering. I don't know. I don't really have an answer to this. But I'm wondering: Is Jesus' birthday? And and I know it's in the spring. Okay, let's get over that. But the celebration of Jesus' birthday. Do we celebrate anybody else's birth without even mentioning them? Isn't that weird? What if we threw a birthday party for you, but we didn't mention your name? Your name wasn't on the cake, and your name wasn't on the, any of the cards or the invitations or any the gifts. They weren't for you; uh, they, they were for the other attendees. And and that and that was it. I wonder if what would happen if we celebrated your birthday like we celebrate Christ—that He gets nothing, but all you—you show up to the gift to, to the to the party, and you actually walk away with more gifts than the birthday boy. Kind of interesting, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it kind of be that way? In in these contrasts and these things going on, and so, so even in our celebration of Christmas, we look and say, "Is Jesus present?" And is there a contrast in, in the way Christians celebrate this season and the way uh, maybe an atheist or an agnostic would celebrate this season? So this morning, obviously the title of the sermon is "The Great Contrast." If you haven't picked up on that yet, and the main point of what I want to discuss with you this morning, and really I hope penetrates your heart, is this: the desperateness of the times, and the greatness of the announcement. When you think about when Jesus arrived, what He was fulfilling—the long-awaited promises of a nation, the generational promises that grandma and grandpa kept saying, "If not us, maybe our grandchildren." Maybe our great-grandchildren and generations and generations and generations passed. And there was this promise. Yet this promise was in the middle of this great contrast. And it started this way all the way back in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 when we notice that the promise to establish a kingdom came at a time of panic came as a time of panic. Look with me, please, at uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, and uh, that passage of Scripture reads this way, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumults and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. You ever think about that statement? That you'll hear that statement, that phrase over and over again? And perhaps throughout your life, you've heard this idea that for unto us a child is born. Have you ever considered what the for is there for? Because these people... Who were walking in great darkness. These people that were under captivity. These people that were being punished for their sin. These people that were walking in darkness, meaning that they didn't understand who God was or how He was leading in their life. There was great confusion over what God was doing in their world. And they felt punished and they felt abandoned and then they felt wounded. And they thought, wait a minute, because of our sin and because of the sin of our parents and the sin of our grandparents, we're sitting here, we're a people in darkness. But things, we're going to rejoice. And we're going to get rid of our weapons. And the war is going to cease. Because a child is born. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Go back to the, one more, one more, right there. The promise to establish the kingdom came as a time of panic. You ever notice when you were a child and you knew you got caught, that panic? Oh, what are they going to do to me? I'm in trouble. How bad is this going to get? And that look of, Ugh. me and my sister used to mess with each other with that look. So if we were playing in, in, in the bedroom and we were hanging, not doing anything bad, right, we were just playing with toys or whatever like the little kids do. And if one of us had our back turned to the wall, Okay? And this we weren't doing anything wrong. If one of us, I mean, to the door, if one of us had our back to the door, the other one facing the door, we would do this to each other all the time without fail to get each other. And we would look at the door and go, that's all we would do. As if dad or mom just walked in the door and we were in trouble. And we weren't doing anything wrong, it was just that look. that And the other one, oh, who? That look of panic. When you're not even doing anything wrong. And I don't know, my parents were probably like, what if I just walk in to say hello? You think you're in trouble? What's the deal? But sometimes we're like that with God, right? We're shocked when He shows up. Oh no, God. Oh no, what's I'm Oh yeah, I'm not doing anything wrong. I mean, we have such a guilty conscience that even when we're doing the right thing, we feel guilty. Hopefully you don't have that. Hopefully you're cured of that. <laughs> Hopefully you get excited when God walks in the room. But a, a few chapters earlier in the book of Isaiah, we're told that Isaiah received his vision of the Lord and what he wrote in this book called Isaiah was that the year King Uzziah died. And in the year King Uzziah died, there was widespread panic. Who's going to take over next? Because of the Old Testament history, there were 39 kings. 32 of them were evil. Only seven did right. And one of those who did right, Josiah, took over when he was eight and figured it out. An eight-year-old figured it out. An eight-year-old stood and worshiped the Lord. And by the time he became a teenager, had all the high places and all the foreign gods removed. And, but there was a time of panic. Of what is God going to do to us now? How bad is it going to be this time? So in the middle of that, that's where the promise came. The promise came in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of this panic, in the middle of this worry, in the middle of of that they're under captivity and they're under punishment and they feel just this overwhelming sense of guilt and whenever God starts to do anything it must be because we're bad. And that was the announcement of Christmas. That's when all this wonderful news came that unto you a child will be born unto you a son will be given, and he will be called all of these great things. It's as though my sister sitting on the bedroom floor looked up, and then dad comes in and says, guess what, we're all going to the Dodger game. All the hot dogs you want, all the peanuts you want, all the, this is gonna be great. And wouldn't that, would have been a great day. So maybe in your life today there's some panic. Maybe in your life today there's this sense of guilt. Maybe in your life today, there's a little bit of fear about what God may do next. To be honest with you, I I get afraid of that sometimes. I get afraid of what God is going to tell me to do next. Sometimes I I, I must admit to you that my prayer is that way. My prayer is, God, don't say anything. Just, just please, just leave me in my current spot for a minute, and I get nervous. Because some guys, God likes to come and say, um, guess what's next? Oh no. But at this point, God comes and says, guess what's next? And then he gives me something beautiful and something wonderful. Maybe God came to me at least four times in my life and said, guess what I'm doing next? You're gonna get something amazing. Here's your wife. Oh, that's what you're doing next? Amen. Kid number one. Yes. Kid number two, yes. Kid number three, yes. At least four times. Grandson number one, yay. But there's been other times. What's God gonna do next? Oh, your sister's 38, I'm taking her home. Oh, oh, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Ease up on that one, God. Ease up on that one, right? So there's times. There's times. And there's this contrast going on in the Bible when we start viewing what this nativity was like. And then as they started to progress and they were living with this promise. Now it's very difficult sometimes to live with an unfulfilled promise, isn't it? It's hard. It, it is really hard. No matter what that promise might be when someone comes to you and says, you know, you're going to get this, but but you have to work and do this first. And, you know, maybe when you, when you finish those kind of things, it's always very Hard. And I remember as a kid thinking that Christmas was so far away, February, March, just far away, but you've got to live in that, and one of the manipulating things our parents would do was tell us that our name was on some naughty list if we didn't do what we were told to as a way to manipulate us into doing good things. But in the middle of this, there was this call to praise that was continually poured out in the Psalms. I want you to notice, and we're just going to pass through this really quickly, but Psalm 96, I just want to read it to you this morning, and, and we can view it together without very much commentary other than, remember, the promise came in a place of darkness, and this call to praise came in a place of continued darkness as well, okay? And so let, let, let's look at Psalm 96, when they, the call to praise came at a time when many worshipped the worthless. Let's look at it together. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation day to day. Now they understood salvation to be that promise from Isaiah, okay? Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous work among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all, God, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Notice, At a time when people worshipped idols, worshipped the worthless, worshipped the things that couldn't help, worshipped the things that couldn't speak, at one point I believe it was Elijah that looked and had a confrontation with the prophets of Baal and he mocked them to the point where if you look at its original language, he actually told the people what's the matter, is your God on the toilet? That's how silly it was. Is he on vacation? Is he taking a nap? Because they can't move can't do anything. They simply don't exist. And so at a time when people worship and value the worthless, this promise is still abiding, but the times are still dark. And it's still a place of contrast when you're looking at the promises of God and the reality of your current situation and there seems to be a disconnect. And did you know that one of the major reasons why people follow Christ for a while and then leave the cares of this world, the expectations maybe that they thought they would have, the speed by which God, in their opinion, should have, be, should have acted on giving His promises and fulfilling them. And so here in the midst of this, they were called to praise God who would establish His kingdom and who would, will judge justly. And then finally, moving on from there, when we do get to the arrival notice the announcement of the arrival the arrival in luke chapter 2 the arrival was announced to those who would listen with little fanfare you notice after generations after hundreds of years over 600 years that's a long time over 600 years they have been living with this promise and told to praise god about it praise god he's going to do this praise the lord he's really going to make it happen. Praise God, Isaiah 9 is going to be fulfilled. The prophecies of Isaiah are going to be fulfilled. And then when God started to move, there was another great contrast. This arrival with little fanfare. We sung about it, and Josh spoke about it today. Looking in Luke chapter 2, words very familiar to you this time of year. And it says this in verse 1, In those days, oh, in those days, Read some first century history. Pick up the story at about 4 B.C. Because that's when this was. These days. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, for those of you that need a history lesson, Caesar Augustus was not a Christian. (laughs) He was not not a God-fearer. He was not a Jewish leader. He was not a good king. He was a ruthless, ruthless man. Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So in those days, a very evil man told us we needed to go and be registered. We'll wonder what why we would do that. What's next on the horizon now? And maybe even Joseph thinking, you know, this angel came and told me this story about my my wife. I oh, don't know, there's rumors flying. And as I mentioned last Christmas, that the rumor, the, the, the biggest rumor, the most popular rumor surrounding this was that Mary slept with a Roman soldier and that Jesus was a, a B word. Yeah, that Jesus was a bastard child who we had no idea who his father was because Mary had slept with so many, um, so many Roman soldiers. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so, in these days, for Joseph, well, these rumors about my, about my wife. Well, this angel and this what's God going to do next? And oh, now this evil man and I've got to travel and my wife's about to... Come on, God, enough. Could have been a prayer of Joseph. So in those days. So verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time for her to give birth. The time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, which is poor people clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. What an amazing, amazing place in Scripture to be. No fanfare. No, 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 grand invitation. No, this is great palace and the royal baby is being born and everybody's interested but in fact there's just simply no room for him and isn't that interesting that after over 600 years god's fulfilling his promise and there's no room for him i find that very interesting maybe Maybe when God's trying to do stuff in our life and fulfill promises to us, are we even making room for Him? Are we making room for Him to do that? I hope so. Have we created some space for God to move in our life? Do we sit quietly and pray? If we think, well, I wonder why God isn't speaking to me, how often do you sit in silence and simply receive the Word of God into your heart? How many times do you read a passage of scripture, close it, and simply sit and be quiet? Wow. Make room for Jesus. See, and then we get a little bit about who, what we think may happen. The story gets a bit more grand in another location. Luke tells us this in verse 8 as he continues to tell us the story. He says, And in the same region, so in the area out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were feared filled with fear no great <laughs> what do we, if they were out in the shell if they're out watching their their flocks by night. Their shepherds. They're the lowest of the lowest economic group. And here we are again with this contrast: that who is the announcement given to, but the people with the minimum wage job, out in the middle of nowhere. That's who he comes to first. Why? I I, I don't really know why. I want there's some ideas that I have, and I'm wondering if they were out there watching their flocks by night, and I can imagine that would be pretty quiet. I can imagine that would be pretty boring. I can imagine they, weren't prob- they were probably weren't filled with pride and arrogance. They were probably maybe wondering what they were doing in such a job. <laughs> but perhaps they were the people that would listen. Perhaps they would. And verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, and then he quotes Isaiah, excuse me, yes, he quotes Isaiah, for unto you is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Isn't this amazing? That you have the announcement in Isaiah 9 in the midst of a people walking in darkness, and God makes this grand promise to them because they're in a state of panic. They're wondering what God is gonna do next. And the years begin to unfold, and as the years unfold, people are called to praise God in the midst of their darkness, in the midst of their situation, because someday God will bring about this being. Jesus will arrive, the Christ child will arrive, and then hundreds of years later, out in the middle of nowhere, out In the middle of the darkness, this grand announcement comes, and there is a child. There's a child born. The Christ. The Anointed One. That's what the word Christ means, by the way. The Anointed One. This baby. This magnificent little creature called Jesus a baby wrapped in poor people's clothes and did you know that the main thing that Jesus would be clothed in would be our own sin that that's what that symbolizes that Jesus would clothe himself in our sin and take on our punishment and then we would be clothed in his righteousness isn't that amazing that Jesus would take this on that here this being this baby, that in another account we're told that Mary, she pondered these things in her heart. You know, and I know each one of you that has had a child, you've sat there and you've looked at it, and you thought, "Oh my, <laughs> what a beautiful little creature with these little toes, these little fingers. Wonder what this little person's going to become. What are they going to do?" What are they going to be? What kind of mistakes are they going to make? And what kind of great things are they going to do? What are going to be their moments in life? And when you think that way about Jesus, and you say, man, my goodness, what? I wonder what Mary and Joseph, this little guy who is a promise from God, who is the one everyone's been waiting for, for generations, they've been waiting for this little baby that we now hold in our arms. What a contrast, isn't it? The greatness of Christ. That the fact that He is God in the flesh, but yet there's this little baby. And that's what could have been rightly said about Jesus. His mom and dad could have held Him and said, I'm holding Him in my arms. God. In my arms, right here. With me. And what better way to reveal Himself See, this makes total sense to me. When somebody says Christianity doesn't make sense, I'm like, wait a minute, no, it makes total sense. Because if God created all that is here, he created the world, he created human beings, and then he said, I want to reveal myself to these human beings, I want to reveal myself to them, what better way than to becoming one of them? This just makes total sense to me that God would do it this way. And then begin to reveal Him himself. It's amazing that Jesus came during a great time of darkness with little fanfare and the greatness and the grandeur of this announcement to these minimum wage workers out in the field. Such a wonderful contrast has been happening all the time. You even call it, many call it throughout the gospel accounts as the upside downness of the gospel. Everything seems to be upside down that you get by giving, that you become most alive by dying to yourself and your flesh that the most beautiful picture that we have is also the most horrible picture that we can ever imagine that is our God and Savior on a cross because this little baby had that destiny. And you're thinking this little baby, his destiny is crucifixion and how horrible that is. But yet that's where the beauty of God shines brightest in the most ugliest scene Ever imagined by a human being. Like God would do it that way. There's an amazing contrast to me. So, the arrival, then, we learn later from the writings of Paul. The arrival brought grace that saved us from ungodliness and worldly passions. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 read this way it says, For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, Waiting, oh, now we're waiting for something again, awaiting for our blessed hope, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So now here we are again. Here we are again with a promise. Here we are again living at the, at the end of 2019. We're given a promise and we're told that we have been given Jesus. He has arrived. He has appeared. And it is grace that has appeared through him. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see the grace of God. And let us not mistake the grace of God as permission to sin, but grace of God is that power to say no to sin and live in obedience. That's what grace is. And that's what we see most clearly in this text. For it says, for the grace of God, reading again, has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to announce ungodliness. Do you see? That's what grace is all about. Grace comes into your life and God says to you, let me forgive you, but let me move you forward. Let me move you out of the mess. Let me train you to do right, not just sit here and allow you to do wrong. Permissiveness is not Grace. But training is grace. And so we live right here in verse 12. If you're wondering where we are in the story of Jesus, He's come the first time. We're waiting for Him to arrive arrive the second time. But in the meantime, we are being trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright lives and godly lives in this present age. So if you're wondering what God's doing next, it starts with us living in this way as described in verse 12. If you're wondering what God wants you to do next, I guarantee you it's going to begin with something in verse 12. Is there something in your life this Christmas that you say, wait a minute, this, this in my life seems to be opposite of what Jesus brings when, when He arrived. And everything that I celebrate about Christmas seems to be opposite of this specific attitude that I now possess, <laughs> And perhaps I need to be trained out of that. And maybe I need to give some of that away. And maybe I need to come to God this Christmas and say to him, Lord, I want to get rid of this contrast in my life because I see you and I see me and we're like opposite. I I, want to be trained more to be like you. Maybe that's your Christmas, Christmas wish is that God would take you a step further in your training and development. And maybe as we look at this present age and we walk into big lots and we see all this Christmas stuff but nothing really about Christ. And maybe, maybe that's the present age in which you and I live. And maybe that's the darkness that you and I live in that we are to penetrate. Isn't that amazing? So finally, where do we go from here? You know me, I love questions. I love to challenge you with questions. I love to challenge myself with questions. And for you this morning, I have another question. Where do you find yourself in the contrast? Where do you find yourself today? Three questions that go along with that. Number one, are you finding it difficult to focus on the greatness of the season because of the troubles you currently face? Find it difficult to put the Christmas tree up this year because, oh, so-and-so is not with you. That job, maybe, or some things have changed this year that are kind of, I really want to do that right now. I really don't want to go to church during this season. I really don't want to hear the Christmas music. The trouble that I face is just robbing you of that. Or as another question is, can you see the greatness among the fake? you able to do that this christmas season can you spot can you go all oh, that that's just that that's just the fake stuff but this is the real stuff and then finally and we'll finish with this will you listen and be trained by the greatness of his grace will you be that this holiday season let's pray father we thank you today lord as we look at this season of christmas and we think about the contrast of the promise And the contrast of the call for continuous worship and praise, Father, as we think about the contrast of of the arrival of Jesus and Him being wrapped in in poor person's clothes and and being laid in a manger, no room for Him. And Father, the contrast of, of the announcement, the splendor of it, the beauty of it, made to these shepherds because they would listen. And the amazingness As when Paul starts to talk and starts to teach us in his epistles. And he said, because Christ has arrived, is there still a contrast? Yeah. And so, Father, we need further training in righteousness. I need further training in righteousness. I see many contrasts in my life. And I look at some of my attitudes and some of my my thought patterns and and things Lord, I struggle with and I, I, I need more training. And Father, that's what we all need today. Because we all live in a contrast. We live in a world that celebrates someone's birth by not acknowledging that one. And that is one of the signs of our time that we would have a holy day season, yet not be able to acknowledge the real reason for it. That we're left with this this vagueness about the season. That it's a time of giving. That it's a time of expressing thanks to each other. That it's a time to give gifts to one another. That it's time to think about peace and about joy, but ignore the peacemaker and the joy giver. And another season will come and another season will go, and we'll see the commercials as we listen to the radio or we watch television or we'll hear the advertisements of buy this, buy that. And then around Jan- December 26th, that's return this and get what you really wanted. And then it's buy this thing because it'll help you lose the weight that you gained when you bought the other stuff they told you to buy. And then in January, all the gyms will be full. And at Christmas that week, more people will come to church during Christmas than any other time of the year. January, more people will go to the gym than any time they do in the year. But by February, everybody's stuffing their face with cupcakes and thinking about Valentine's Day again and just kind of back to the same thing. So Father, please train us. Please train us that this Christmas we may see a contrast if it's there in our own life. And, and Father, we will look at the true meaning of this wonderful, beautiful season. And yes, we love the green and red. We love the lights and the trees. and the, We love it all. It was beautiful uptown last night. It was great. Let us embrace all of that. Let us enjoy all of that. Watch silly Christmas movies and claymation videos of the past. But Father, may we not be people that forget about the darkness of the times and the need for light and the provision of grace that is really the true meaning of this wonderful season. And we thank you for this Advent season. We pray that you would change our lives during this season. Make us more like you. Help us to denounce ungodly passions. Help us to denounce the worthless things of the world. And help us be people that bring joy and peace into the lives of those around us. Maybe there's some people on our Oikos list, Lord, that need need us to speak up right now. They need us to give them a wonderful Christmas gift. They need us to be true examples of what it means to be a Christ follower this season. they got to see it right now. Enable us, Jesus. Thank you for coming, Jesus. Thank you for taking on flesh and living our own life. Thank you for taking on our own sin and our own punishment. Thank you for taking on our own death Because the destiny of a Christ child was the cross of Christ. And so, Father, thank you. For probably the most disturbing image anyone could ever imagine would be a human being crucified. But yet, the contrast of that is the most amazing love of a God who created and a God who redeems. Father, help us today because we can get so distracted. Keep us focused. May we be laser-focused this Christmas season. We love You. We thank You. Do Your work in our hearts as we contemplate these things by taking communion today. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take communion today, I pray that you just ask God a couple of these questions Lord is there a contrast in my life and let him speak to your heart today let him minister to you as you take these elements and remember this is a time of honest reflection it is a time of meditation a time of quiet not a time of talking or laughing or any of those things it's a solemn moment as we receive these means of grace amen amen